0: The following sermon is brought to you by ThePreachersVault.com Bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. Take your Bibles and open with me the Gospel of Mark. We'll be in Mark chapter 4 tonight. Uh, picking up right behind, I should say, where we left off over the course of the last couple of weeks. We've been talking specifically of Mark chapter 4 what really picked itself up way back over at the beginning of the chapter and went through verse 20, so Mark 4, verses 1 through 20, and that was what is referred to as by Jesus as the parable of the sower, Matthew 13 and verse 18. Sometimes we use it for illustration to be the parable of the seed and or the soils. All those purposes and the illustrations can be seen but the parable of the sower nonetheless. And the principle behind that, the main thing that we've understood about that is how important it is to sow the seed. Uh, God being the ultimate sower of that, but we uh, being given through the providence of he, his word, and we continue to use it and we could should continue to sow that seed and spread it abroad as well. And that's really what the root of that came down to. Now we saw those four types of soil and the way that the word was received in those cases and each of them in various degrees. But the only one that was really spoken of in a favorable light was what was referred to by our Lord as good soil. And a couple of things that we came up with and that he illustrated that speaking of good soil, he said in verse 20, which was the last verse of this, he said a few, few different things, but number one, he said, and these are they which are sown of good souls, such as hear the word and receive it. That's the first two things that are required. They hear the word and receive it. And I think we closed out by talking about that type of reception. And that's a very favorable reception. It's a reception that involves uh, grasping something, holding something. The prefix of that word... Uh, um, Para, I can't say that hardly tonight, but the prefix of that word even involves uh, really beholding something and grasping and holding on to it. Of course, that's the best type of reception that you'll find in the New Testament. And that's in opposition to other types of reception or the word receive and received that were found up the page from that. And uh, those types, of course, were the snatching of something, just trying to grasp it really quickly, move on with life. This type of soil did not do that, and that was the contrast. However, uh, even more of a major principle in that is that not only did this type of soil, the good soil, the soil that's listed as being good, hear the word and receive it, but then it says specifically, and brought forth fruit some thirty-fold, some sixtyfold, and even some 100-fold. And that's what the honest heart does when they hear the word of God, the sincere, uh, faithful, if you will, child of God. That's what they do. That's what we continue to do to bring forth some type of fruit. And I had someone last week ask me uh, about that and just by the way of uh, understanding, you know, what do you think the fruits are? Well, obviously, the main brunt of this context is talking about bearing fruit is in bringing converts trying to bring people to Christ and the Christ, the fruit that is ultimately what God is attempting himself to produce. He's spreading the seed in order that he may bring forth his children in that. But I think that's really uh, concise and it's precise as to what the intention is. That is ultimate converts. But you and I know as well that everything that we do that is good and that makes that effort, key word being effort there, also brings forth some type of fruit. Uh, There are two different places where you'll find these, but uh, someone, if you can think about it, what is said according to Paul writing to the Galatians, just for example, Galatians 5.22. If someone would like to read that even, Galatians 5.22. Read that verse with us. Okay, so that speaks of the what the fruits of the spirit. Now you can look at that and say, well, that's other things that you and I ought to be bringing forth. That's other fruit that you and I ought to be bringing forth. Those characteristics, if you boil those down, one of the major things all of them have in mind. whether well, you're talking about love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. We well, would sing a song sometimes to go along with that. The main thing that brings all those together is that they have influence over others. Okay. There are other ways in which those words can be used and should be used and should be applied in our lives, but all of those characteristics ultimately have influence over others. So I think those fruits that are listed, although they won't be the ultimate fruit that is supposed to be produced here, that is attempting and bringing that seed forth as God does to produce converts, but I think the influences of that do have something to do with that. So don't limit that to someone who might say, well, that means if, I, if I'm able to bring three souls to Christ in my lifetime, I've done well, or if I've done six souls and I'm just using those numbers, this single, or uh, ten souls, if there's any buried in there, the idea is that we continue to bring forth fruit. We don't stop attempting, at least, to do that, and in our influence, as well as our words have something that is involved in that. So that's verses 1 through 20, just kind of in a nutshell. Now, as I was examining this over the course of weeks, if you really look at it, and perhaps some of your Bibles do this, uh, you may have headings in your Bibles. I don't necessarily have that in this particular copy. You may have headings. Uh, you may also notice in your printed copies that there may be some, what they really are, or paragraph divisions that come in. And sometimes that will be noted by the number before the verse may be in bold print. Or in other cases it may be, what's that, what's that case where the first letter's? can't think off the top of my head drop case is it? drop case what is it but the first letter is somehow emphasized or in my case and i don't even know what you call this i've got something that looks like some sort of a musical symbol that's placed right behind the verse numbers, and that's just really to relay to us that there's a shift in some senses, a shift of topic or a shift of illustration or a shift of context, what have you, and you might see that. And if I look at my translation, just I say my translation, my printing, this is done by the printers, not necessarily by the translators. Basically, I can see there that verses 1 through 20 make up one of those paragraphs, one of those contexts. In essence, in that, if you look, and I do at least, yours could be very much different. When we read our Bibles together as a family sometimes, uh, we'll trade around the room and read a section apiece. And a lot of times Jennifer will say, read verses 1 through 13, Cameron, and Cameron will look down. He'll try to read through 16. Why? Because his heading's in a different place or whatever. Uh, But uh, in my my particular copy here, verses 21 through about 25 or another section, and I'll be honest with you, to one extent, that is another uh, Greek paragraph that was brought into the English for us and just kind of divided that way so that we could understand it. But I would, I would change that a bit, just for emphasis we'll get to later, to say that in my mind, verses 21 through and all the way through verses 34 make up another context. Okay? Okay. So that's my division, might not be yours, certainly may not be what you're looking at on the page there. But verses 1 to 20 being one section, if you will, or paragraph. And then verses 21, I say through 34, make up another. Now is that because the the brunt or the shift is not there or not found in any of those texts that we're about to read? No, there are some shifts. But the ties that go between them, to me are very thick. The threads that run between them are very thick. And really, in essence, and I've done this, uh, I, I doubt you can see the errors I've got drawn, but I've got errors there at verse 21 that point down, but I've also got errors that point up. Because in one sense, as we're gonna see later, verse 21, we'll read it together out loud right now. And he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel, or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick. That's verse 21. And that reflects, we'll see later, back into the first 20 verses, context matters. But it also very much ties into what is found in verse 22 through about verse 34. Now, there'll be several illustrations that Jesus uses, but the same principle is going to continue to be borne out. So let's read verses 21 uh, at least down to 25 right quick, and then we'll back up and start talking about some of that. So Mark 4:21 and following. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hidden, verse 22, which will not be manifested. Neither is there anything kept secret, but that it should be put, that it should be come abroad. If any man hath, has ears to hear, let him hear. And he, that's Jesus, said unto them, Take heed what you hear, and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you there shall be more given, there shall, shall more be given. For he, verse 25, that he hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall shall be taken, even that which he hath. And of course I say verse 26 will tie to that, but I know we're not going to get anywhere topside or bottom of that tonight. So looking there and the beginning in verse 21, uh, I always try to, to bring your attention to the parallel passages. So you've got some parallels that come in between 21 and 24. The first one being and it's the one we're going to go to begin to begin with, go back to Matthew chapter 5. This will be the most familiar perhaps and the one that we would most likely be able to quote. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is already kind of in the midst, if you want to call it that, of what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5, 6, and 7. But Matthew chapter 5, talking about a lamp, a candle, a light, all those illustrative terms are used here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, beginning. Here's what Matthew says that is a direct parallel to some senses to this. Matthew 5, 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Verse 16 concludes the thought there. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, we're fairly familiar with that. I suppose most of you, whether you're a student of the King James or New King James or whatever, even in your translation, usually most of us pretty much could have quoted that. And I know you could because I'm not a good reader and some of you probably saw me stumble and miss a word like normal. But you can quote that. That comes to mind. Particularly verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Now, in this case, the illustration that we've all learned since grade school, because it's the only one that is written right here is, is that if a man comes into a room and he has a candle, he has a light, is it a better option if he wants that light to be used in that room to put it on a candlestick or to hide it under a bed? What's the better option? It's it's very obvious in the context, and that's what the illustration shows. It's much better to put it up on a candlestick. He even illustrated that with a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. How many of you recognize that as you drive down the highways at night sometimes? You see a hillside, you see a mountainside. If there's a house up on that hillside that's been built and they leave in the smallest little glimmer of light on the porch, what can you see from that highway? Miles away. And so that's always an easy to understand, and Jesus typically was as he used parables and used illustration particularly, I think. It's always pretty much easy to understand what Jesus is saying. He's very clear with that. What are the lessons that are involved in reading Matthew's account? We should not do what? Hide our lights. That's the illustration. That's what Jesus teaches. That's what he speaks of. In Matthew chapter five verses 14 through 17. Now, what types of things this is discussion. What types of things do you think, or have you always considered, or things that can be done in a Christian's life that would ultimately hide their light? What could a person do, even as a Christian, that may oftentimes hide their lights? Speak up. Not, speak up. Not speaking up hides their light. We're going to get to that type also. What else? not practicing what they preach. What else? Could our lifestyle hide our lights? Could our language hide our lights? Could sometimes the way that we dress hide our lights? Could sometimes the way that we react towards situations hide our lights? You could go on and on and on and name things that ultimately could... Could be sin and or not in some situations not directly sin but because they had the light they become so but sometimes the lack of influence that we have over someone is an illustration of the fact that our lights have been hidden now we're going to get to other contexts that show this even more clearly but as i've kind of gone through this in my mind this is in my mind it may not work like yours but what's gone i've gone through in my mind recently in examining this is there are basically two different ways these are headings that go over these sections in which someone would hide their lights. One way is that they may hide their lights basically incidentally. Now, I wrote that on a sticky note, and here's how I spelled it. I-N-S-I-N-D-E-N-T-A-L-L-Y. Y'all know that ain't right, but that's best I could do. Incidentally. What does it mean to do something incidentally? It's, it's close, kin to the word accidentally. It just happens. And oftentimes our lights are just hidden, even when we have good intentions, but maybe we're in that position. I think the tongue is a lot of times involved in this. Maybe you're in that position where in in your heart, your desire is to let the light of God shine through you. And that's what it ultimately is, letting the light shine through you. But it didn't take but a moment or two to get frustrated with someone, some external a issue, some problem, some person particularly, you get frustrated and the tongue pops off, what happens? You, you've, put a cat, you've put a bushel on top of that light. You may as well have tucked it away under the bed. It may as well not be on that hilltop. So sometimes it's incidental. It just comes about. It just happens. And it happens because it's covered by some action and or many times reaction to some outside source. But there's incidental hidings, which is really where I was wanting to look to first. But it seems like categorically there are also intentional hidings. And this is kind of where I wasn't expecting Brad to get on it so quick. What did you say a moment ago? Maybe not speak up or something, something like... Right. Not speaking up. You said not practicing what we preach, I think. Similar. But refusing to speak up. Now, why would it it be the case, or why potentially could it be the case that someone wouldn't speak up? There's a wrong that's being done. Maybe there's an accusation that's made against God or his character. Why wouldn't we speak up? Fear, not wanting to be ridiculed, not wanting to take that stand. In our context, we're not going to turn back over there yet, but in our context, right back up the page, uh, remember what had occurred in Jesus' life. He had cast out demons, and, and of course, he was being accused of being who? Doing that after the power of Beelzebub. What did his friends come in to do right then? You remember that? His friends step in, and one of the first things they do is they try to get Jesus and they say, What about it? What has been said about him? Let me say that. He is, he's crazy. He's out of his mind. What may be happening there? Someone sees that light. They might, in typical situations, want to represent that light, but because of some type of a fear, or in this case, something Jesus was doing was about to change the lives of those that followed after him, maybe even some of his family members, friends at least, disciples in some cases, their real quick reaction to that was just to try to shut the light down. Take the light off of me. How did Peter react After he had, after Jesus was carried away into the courts, what did Peter do inside and outside those courts? Those denials. How did he deny him? Some of it was incidental. His words, I think. I'm just categorizing, okay? I may be all off on this. His words were incidental. He spoke out. His words, according to the scriptures, he began to uh, swear, if you will, curse, what have you but some of it was very intentional because what was his answer to those questions about knowing Jesus? I don't know the man. Now, there had to be intention to that. He had to say in his heart before it came out of his mouth, I don't know who this man is. What's a very common passage, very common verse that has to do with our willingness uh, to not be ashamed of Christ? That's, that's another one that I would not point at, but that's exactly right. What about another? King on the word ashamed. Paul said, For I'm not. Everyone that believeth, is you first also Greek. What did Paul say? Paul wasn't going to be found guilty of incidentally, by his lifestyle, denying Christ or hiding his bushel, nor did he want to be found guilty of intentionally hiding his life. There are sometimes when we and I stand up, or at least have to stand up for something, when it may cause backlights to come on us. And so there are various ways, or a number of ways, really too many ways, perhaps you might even say, in which our lights could be hidden in which we could be accused by God of trying to put a bushel on top of our candle, of taking away our influence in that case. And Matthew seems to lean at that. Let's look at another context. That's Matthew chapter 5. Go to Luke's accounts. And I say accounts multiply because Luke actually mentions very much the same thing in two different places, at least in his gospel. First Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Look at verse 16 to begin with. Luke 8, ver- verse 16. Notice the way Luke puts this. He says this, Luke eight sixteen. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, covereth it with a vessel, or putteth, under, putteth it under a bed, but, in contrast, setteth it on a candlestick, so that they that enter may see the light. For there is nothing secret that shall not be made manifest. And 17 through 20 is a direct parallel to what we're seeing in Mark's account. What's Luke trying to get across? The same thing. Don't hide your lights. Don't have your light to be covered by anything. Now, that's in this account of Luke 8. Look over across the page, a couple pages at least. Look to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, look at verse 33. Now this is in the direct context of the Beelzebub accusation in Luke's account as well. So we know this in in chronological type of order seems to line itself up. Look at Luke 11, 33. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, put it in a secret place, Luke calls it, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come may see, there's something Luke does differently here. Look at that specific language. That they which come may see the light. Okay? So the lights that are able to be put forth, whether it be by us, by Christ, by God, what have you, and through us and reflected of that, do not need to be hid. That's the principle found in Matthew's account, found in Luke 8, as well as here in Luke 11. Principles across the board, very similar and much the same. Now, what about the light? We Roll back a little bit. Go to John chapter 1. This is very familiar. We use this often for other purposes. Go to John chapter 1. There was actually a discussion that came up between uh, John the Baptizer and others concerning, quote, quote unquote, the light. All for me with the first few verses there, uh, but beginning in verse 4. For in him was life, John 1:4. For in him was life, and the life was, what's that next phrase? The light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. And darkness comprehendeth it not. There was a man who was sent from God whose name was John. The same verse 7 came to be a witness and to bear witness of, what's that next phrase? The light. This will be dependent on your printing, okay, your translation, your printing. But in in the particular one I'm looking at right here, and I think they're very correct in doing so, the word light, L-I-G-H-T, in verse 7 is capitalized. The emphasis being on who? Just like in verses 1 to 3, Jesus is called the Word, W R D Word, and that becomes clear by verse 14. The Word referred to Jesus, God in the body being made flesh, so is the case with this picture that's being drawn, and that is of the light. Verse 8, he was not that light, speaking of John. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, that he was the, what's that next phrase, verse 9? true light, which lighteth every man that cometh in the world. For he was in the world, and he brought the world, and was made by him, and the world knew him not. And he came, and his own received him not. So at one point, his own, I would say, in that sense is hid the light, because they themselves were not willing to directly and completely associate with him. So we got the light. In Matthew's account, don't hide your light, basically. uh, Luke's accounts, two of them, chapter 8, verse 11. Don't hide your light. Go back to Mark. All these are parallels. Mark 4, 21 again. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel, or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick. What's the, what is the benefit? We have these. But what's the benefit of setting a candle on a candlestick? You can see it, it further away. It spreads more. Uh, it had not happened lately, but we live in Munford, at least I do. Power goes out. What happens when the power goes out around your house? What does someone want to do? Go get a flashlight or go get a candle. What do you do? Let's say that you you fumble through. We have one in our nightstand. You fumble through your nightstand. You get that that flashlight out. What do you do with it? That's a good idea. That's a real good idea. Do you tuck it between the mattresses? And that's no. Do you get up and go, we've got a, a, a chest of drawers at the foot of our bed. Do we get up and put it on the chest of drawers and then I walk in the closet and get one of my hats and lay it on top? No, that'd be silly. Where do you put the light? Usually, as we would say, you put it kind of in the center of the room or at least focusing on what you need to see. In the case of it happening in the middle of the night, which the only reason I get up in the middle of the night is if the, if the air conditioner quit because the power went out. What do you need to see in the middle of the night? Your path so that you don't stumble. Lighting fixtures effectively used, candles, flashlights, lights themselves effectively used are oftentimes put in the center of a room and at a higher point. In Jesus' day, this illustration is right here on the page, that is put on a candlestick. That is, it is lifted up. It must be lifted up. Because it can do what? Illustration. Because it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now, the way we do that sometimes, if we're in the kitchen and we're trying to eat, eat a snack or eat a meal, I will literally put our candle, we do use a lot of candles, I will put it on top of the refrigerator. Because it does a whole lot more on top of the refrigerator than it does on the floor. Or what it under the table or in the cabinet. Very easy to see illustration. So what is the idea? Matthew's account basically, don't hide your light. Luke's account, 8 and 11, don't hide your light. John's, not account, but being more specific says, basically the light, the light, came into the world to shed light on darkness. So we should not want to hide that light. All those clear illustrations. Now the balance of the context, verse 22, 23, 24, and 25, are going to illustrate that even farther and exactly put it in context of what it means. But I want to I share with you a little something that's very different, shockingly different to me, what I would call it. That is different from what Matthew says and what Luke says. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Mark sandwiched in the way that we have them ordered out in, in Scripture, just for convenience. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Don't hide your light. Don't hide your light. Verse 21, and he said unto them, I'm reading the King James translation, a candle, is a candle brought to be put under a bed or under a bushel or under a bed? Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed? That is a question. What's the answer? It shouldn't be. Definitely not. Why hide our light? But there's a variant right here. And I don't know why this is. I've got a suggestion. That's all it'll be. In verse 21, well first of all, who has a different translation? I know you got a new King James. Does it have any read it, read if you don't mind out loud. It says. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is a lamp brought to be put in a basket or in a belt? Is it not set under a lampstand? Anything else that anybody pulled up? I know we got some phones. McCord. He said the same thing. I looked at McCord as well. Here's the thing about it. I'm just, I'm not, I'm just trying to... Uh, it's not a pun to say shed light on, but something that was interesting. Verse 21, there is a word in verse 21, that is extremely, 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 uniquely translated in the gospel of Mark. I've got, you know, I talk about my circles, my underlines, my highlights. I've got them all done to one word in this verse, the word brought, brought. Matthew says, basically, nutshell, don't hide your light. Luke says, basically, nutshell, don't hide your light. Both accounts, 8 and 11. The light we understand from John is Jesus, to one point. The word for brought, verse 21, Mark 4. I'm going to translate it clearly. And he said unto them, is a candle come to be put under a bushel. I didn't say brought, I said come. There's only one reason why I I chose to say that. The word translated brought, King James and every, every other translation I could find, every single one of them translated brought, in verse 21, is the Greek word that is translated 291 times as come. It's translated one time as brought. And it's right here in Mark 4.21. What may be, my disclaimer, what may be some emphasis here. Mark takes the same things... (laughs) that Matthew speaks of, that Luke speaks speaks of. But God selectively puts into the mouth and the pen of Mark the word actually, to be correctly translated, come. Translated brought. King James and every, every other translation I could find, every single one of them translated brought. In verse 21, is the Greek word that is translated 291 times as come. It's translated one time as brought. And it's right here in Mark 4.21. What may be, my disclaimer, what may be some emphasis here. Mark takes the same things that Matthew speaks of, that Luke speaks of, but God selectively puts into the mouth and the pen of Mark the word actually, to be correctly translated, come. How does that change the way this reads? It could either say, is, and he said unto them, is a candle brought, like you, I would brought or bring, the songbook book from one side or another and that involves my transformation, my transferring of it. But the word here is the word for come which reads literally like this. Does the lamp come to be put under a bushel? That's different. That's actually very, very closely related to John's description of the, T H E L I G H T, light, which is our Lord. So it's as if what Mark records here that is said is that Jesus sat down here, he looked at these multitudes, he's still by the seaside, same context as the first 20 verses. And he looks at them and asks the the question, I would call it rhetorical question, is the lamp come to be put under a bushel? King James translation said lamp anyway. Jesus, I'm putting it in my words, not his. Jesus said, why would I bother to come in the world only to be hidden? What did he done in the first four chapters of Mark's record? Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And there were those who denied him. There were those who discredited him. There were those who discarded him. There were those who degraded him. And he hits a pause, a shift in gears for just a moment, and said, why would I have come to this world as the lamp, as the light, only to be hidden? Another little, little quirky detail here, I may have even read it this way uh, by accident, King James translation says, and he is, and he said unto them, is a candle brought, is a light brought, is a lamp brought? The little bitty word a there is the definite article, could it be easily be translated the, Can the lamp come, we would say, only to be hid under a bushel? We might even more rhetorically ask, why would Jesus bother to come only to be hid under a lamp and under a bushel? Let me show you another of those. I I said there were 291 times this one Greek word. I'll spell the English letters out. It's E-R-C-H-O-M-I-A. That's the English letters. Ekromia, something like that. 291 times translated in the the text is the word come, cometh, came. Only the one time brought right here. Look at one of those times. Look at Matthew chapter 11. You'll be familiar with this when we get there. Matthew 11. We'll start in verse 1. Matthew 11, 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had made an end to his, of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in the cities. And then, now when John heard, and when and I'm sorry, now when John had heard in prison that the words of Christ had been sent of his disciples, he said unto him, Art thou he that should come or do we look for another? That's a, that's a parallel in word, just one of those hundred, two hundred, ninety-one times where this word is translated as come. Jesus was not brought by a man. Jesus was sent by God. And he came or would come into the world. And there was not another. John's record, there's a list there of seven, I think it's seven different ways, which Jesus said in some I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. He's the light. He's the lamp. He's the candle, whichever illustration, whichever account you choose, and the fact is he came to this world to be manifest. He came to be seen. Not to be hidden by either us, nor was he intending to hide himself. Now, if you balance that, you have to understand, there were times now, there were times when Jesus would say, using that same exact Greek word, my time is not yet come. Uh, When his life uh, was, when death was pending, Uh, When the the throngs of people were there to put him to death, and oftentimes he would slip away by whatever means, miraculously, maybe even in some cases, when he would slip away, he would sometimes say, My time is not yet come. But that was his time. His purpose had always been. And that ties forward to verse 22 For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifest, neither is anything kept secret but it should come abroad. And then he uses that phrase he's used several times in chapter 4. If any man hath ears to hear, let him hear. So if there's a principle Jesus wants to get across here, it's the fact that I came to this world to be put in front of people. How does that tie back to the first 20 verses? That's what sowing the seed does. It puts him in front of people. So either we do that intentionally, By sowing the seed, or incidentally, in the way that we live our lives, his light should be made manifest. Question or comment, we're out of time. Unless you have a question or comment, we're never out. All right, we'll hopefully pick up in verse 22 next week, week after next, I think it's singing next week. Thank you for your time and your attention.